Anyways, well, good morning, everyone. Man, don't we just love the presence of God together? There's nothing like it. I mean, you can't do this on your own. And that's why it's so crucial that you come. We're so glad that you're here to bring what you got uh, from your relationship with the Lord. And when it gets together, man, there's nothing more powerful than the corporate anointing. So let's just pray before we get into this. Father, we love you with all our hearts and we thank you so much for your holy written word that it is able to impart to us eternal life. So, Father, we open our hearts to you this morning. Father, we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you live strong on the inside of us. And I love that you're strong and mighty in us. And you are our teacher. You're our comforter, our guide. And so we look to you this morning to lead us and to guide us into all truth, to show us things to come. We expect that this morning. And we're fully ready to receive what you have for us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Well, going into this morning, I was just reminded again of a, uh, a prophecy we read a year ago, and I want to read a segment of it to you again uh, because of the times that we're living in. And it's a prophecy by the gentleman of Kenneth E. Hagan from 1980. And it was in regards to the days that we're living in today. And of course, you can see a lot of, you know, there's a lot of prophetic words that are out there. You can go on YouTube and find a prophet this, prophet that. But I'm talking about a genuine man of God who walked with the Lord, who saw into what we're living in today. And he's not alive today. So his words even just still ring true, even after about 43 years later. And it goes like this. The end of the age is coming upon this generation. Now, when you... So I, last night I read this really slow and I just, not because I'm a slow reader, but just because I can really like to, okay, Lord, I want to see what you said through your prophet. I want to see what you're saying. Now, I want you to do the same as I'm reading this. Don't just kind of go, oh yeah, I've heard that one before. Like bring it in. He says, the end of the age is coming upon this generation. The powers of darkness, the forces of evil are rampant as never before, and they will be increased in intensity and velocity, and even many Christians will see and look upon these things and say, there is no use. They'll throw up their hands in futility and say, I guess it's all over. We'll just have to hold on and pray for Jesus to come and sh- come shortly because the devil is about to take over everything. But, say with me, but, says the Lord, in this day, I am searching the body of Christ to enlist soldiers. I'll raise up. Now, who's raising up? God, the Lord is raising up as he's searching the body. Now, thank God we are part of the body, but you is in the body. He is looking to enlist soldiers, to raise up a new band, to raise up a new army who will know how to pray against the powers of darkness and the light will dispel the darkness and the truth will set men free and prayer will break the bonds that bind men's minds and spirits and bodies. Yes, there are those who will learn to take their place quickly. It must be quickly. Quickly it must be that they learn, that they learn how to enter in to stand against the forces of darkness and evil that will try and come against the land, against the church, against the home, that would try and disrupt and destroy all that is good and all that God has endorsed. But the hand of the Lord is upon those who will listen and to the urge of God in the spirit to those who are attentive, they will pray. The spirit of God will help you to pray. Do not try to do it on your own. Though there will best be great labor on your part, yet at the same time, rest in him. Let the spirit flow through you like a river, like a mighty wave. Let it flow through you. Give vent to those innermost groanings. Let them escape your lips. Take the time to get alone and wait. 
sometimes not even saying anything, but on the inside of you there is an agonizing. There is a flowing out of your spirit by the Holy Spirit to the great spirit, the father of spirit, and thou shalt be sustained. Thou shalt be kept, and thy family and your home will be sure and stand fast, and your children shall grow up strong and faithful in the Lord, and they shall have no fear. I don't know about you, but that's the, part, that's the band that I want to be part of. And I believe that's what the Lord, I mean, that's the church that you are sitting in today, that this is the group that we're a part of. So sometimes church may look a little bit different from Sunday to Sunday. Why? It's because the Lord is raising up. The Lord is raising up a new band. He's raising up a new army. And so part of the training is worship. Part of the training is instruction from the word. Part of the training is serving. Part of the training, all of this is training mode. I really look at this as kind of a, a locker room segment. That's kind of how the kingdom, I believe, operates. That's what the local church, that's what Sunday mornings are for. It's our gathering is so we can all come together and let the Spirit of God instruct us as a family. Yes, it'll impact your individual life, but all in all, it's here for the greater purpose of the local church and what you and I get to be a part of. Man, he called me out of the world, and I'm part of the ecclesia. Now, so what do we do? We now get aggressive in our dependency upon the Lord. We are going so deeper, further, how the Lord leads us into this than we've ever gone before. And what the Lord gave us again a couple weeks ago, I want to continue on this. Ah, I gave you the answer. But how does the church get and stay aggressive in their dependency upon the Lord? Continuing. And continuing is a verb. Did you know that? Simply just look at this. A couple definitions. Continuing means to carry on in the same direction, to persist in your pursuit and to continue even if there's an interruption. We don't stop. We keep going on. And listen, there's going to be plenty of opportunities for you to stop. But I believe the Spirit of God is doing in this season is giving you and I this, this oomph on the inside, this grit on the inside to keep going. Not just surviving and holding on to, you know, a couple here, things in here or there. I hope I can stay in my job. I hope I can do this. No, no, no. The greater purpose is continue to follow the path that he's called you and I to be on. Amen. Now, continuing, it guards us from drifting. Say with me. Continuing guards us from drifting. And this is the word the Lord shared with me this past week is that, Joel, in this continuing, it protects you and I from drifting. And I want you to see in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, because, yeah, we can get all excited, but really, it's not how high you can jump in church. It's how straight you walk when you land. That's what we're looking for. And so in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1, this is the, the warning that the Spirit of God gave the church or the Hebrew believers. But for us even today, he said, this is why it is so crucial that we be all the more engaged and attentive to the truths that we have heard so that we do not drift off course. It's not just about how hip and hollering and all this excitement we can get. That's all good. That's all part of it. But now it's so important that when we land from the jumping up and down, that we walk straight, that we aren't drifting off course because anybody can jump. But how straight do you walk? And that's what God is really interested because really how straight we walk determines how high we jump. And so that's what I'm really going after. I believe that's the call for this local church is to continue to be a distribution center of the word, but to be a strong word and spirit church where it's not just the word and it's not just the spirit. You need both to walk in the center of the road. So that's what we're interested in. And do I have it all? Not even close. Do I even think I have it all? Not even close. I'm learning this just as much as you are. Hoorah. Okay. 
Some of you might be going, really? Yeah, I, I've re- absolutely. Now, notice again what he says, that we do not drift off course. This is what the Spirit of God in these last days is really emphasizing to the church that we need to hear so we're not drifting. I want you to look at Proverbs chapter 4 again. This is seen all throughout the Word. But he says, My son, if you will take the time to stop and listen to me and embrace what I say, you will live a long and happy life full of understanding in every way. I have taken you by the hand in wisdom's way, pointing you to the path of integrity. Your progress will have no limits when you come along with me and you will never stumble, man, and you will never stumble. Aren't those good words? Never stumble as you walk along the way. So he said, receive, say with me, receive my correction, no matter how hard it is to swallow. We're going to have to do some tough swallowing a little bit going forward. And it's not just like, hey, everything's great, but it's great because you and I are swallowing correction. Why? Because wisdom will snap you back in place. Snap you back in place from what? From drifting. It'll bring you right back. Her words will uh, be invigorating life to you. He says, verse 14, so do not detour into darkness or even set foot on that path. Stay away from it. Don't even go there. Verse 18, he goes down to say, but the lovers of God walk on a highway of light and their way shines brighter and brighter until the day or so until they bring forth the perfect day. And what's he talking about? That is walking in wisdom's ways. And so the Spirit of God is bringing you and I constantly back into this place of alignment with him, aligning with his word, aligning with the Spirit, so that when we take a step, we are right in sync with him. Next verse I want you to see is 2 Timothy chapter 4. Now again, the, the whole 2 Timothy is a beautiful book. It's the Apostle Paul talking to his spiritual son. And he's really coaching, encouraging him. But he also gives word for you and I today. I want you to see the charge that he gives to Timothy. Right? This is the charge. Remember, when somebody gives their final words, you want to heed or pay attention to what they're saying. So he says this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. He says this, preach the word of God, not the opinion Not the high thought of the day, not what Facebook or the politicians say. Preach the word of God. When? Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently. Say with me, patiently. Now this is the call that you and I have. If you kind of read other verses in 2 Timothy 3, he talks about that a man or woman of God, that they don't, are not quarrelsome. They are not argumentative, meaning they like looking for arguments. We are, to, we are here to patiently correct. Rebuke is not this, you are a heathen. It's patient rebuke, meaning, hey, you need to see it from a different angle here. I, I, need, you to, I need you to get this. Anybody ever been rebuked by the Lord before? Yeah, it, it, it hurts so good sometimes. But it's, hey, you're off in your thinking. Got to switch that. Yes, sir. I hear a sigh. I mean, we're, on a, we're on a good track then. And then he goes on to say, and encourage your people with good teaching. Now notice this, why, why all of this? Why do we have to preach the word? Because a time is coming. And I believe the time, as we know, is here. It's coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. 
They will reject the truth and chase after myths. Now, I want to just read it to you. Uh, the Passion Bible says it like this in verse 3. He says, For the time is coming when they, when they will no longer listen and respond to the healing words of truth because they will become selfish and proud. They will seek out teachers with soothing words that line up with their desires, saying just what they want to hear. So I see this and I go, pride and selfishness are attitudes for drifting. If I'm going to stay in, I know this, or that doesn't really suit me where I'm at right at this moment, you're on a course for drifting. And wisdom is saying, man, as long as you be living that, it's going to, I got to snap you back into place. We're going to get into that as believe as time goes on. But pridefulness, if I'm not, I mean, what we see from the grace of God, grace teaches you and I how to be dependent upon the Lord. Well, if I'm not depending on the Lord, what am I depending on? Myself. And really, if you look at that, self has a lot of cousins, boasting, arrogance, and pride. They like to hang out with each other. So this is one thing that I believe the Lord is training us is to slowly again cut ties from this world natural system where we are completely depending on the Lord for everything. Now, drifting is subtle. It's so simply allowing our guard to get down and simply allowing thoughts or feelings to take a higher place in our life than what the word of God says. That's simply what drifting is. If I don't heed, take heed to myself and keeping my thoughts or feelings in line, I may be asking myself one day, how did I get here? So I have to constantly keep my feelings, I have to keep my thoughts in check and in line with what the word says so that I'm not drifting off course. You know how subtle it is? You could be going, man, that's just, this is a stupid message. I don't want to listen to this. Be careful of that. And all of a sudden, somebody could be talking, it's so stupid, I hate doing all that. Careful with those attitudes. If they're not in check, it is so easy to get subtle. Go, how did I get so angry one day? It's so subtle. And it starts with an offense. It starts with, I can't believe that they didn't say anything to me. So subtle. And we have to go, wait, hold on a minute. God loves me. That's the root of my life. And just bring it right back in. That's another message. So God, what has he done? He has given us his word to establish us. God has given us his word to establish our believing. Now, I'm thankful for that word. Hebrews 13, 9, again, turn there. The word, of course, we know that 2 Timothy chapter 3, if you read it, that it's there for exhortation, to comfort, to equip us with everything that we need. But listen, I want you to also look, this is what keeps you stable. We can sing this song all day that, hey, the rain came and the wind blew, but my house was built on you. You can sing that all day long, but if, my, if this word isn't final, final authority, the rain is going to knock you out. The wind and the storms are going to knock you out. So the word has got to be of the highest importance in your and my life. Amen. We're having a revival of the Bible where we just go back to daily Bible reading. Now, look at this verse in Hebrews 13, 9. This is what God gave us his word to heal, to establish you and I. He says, don't be carried away or don't be drifting away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good. See with me, it is good for the heart to be established and strengthened by grace. This is what he, he's telling you and I. How do I how, what's my heart supposed to be established in? The high opinions of the day? What they're doing at all these political meetings and all the stuff that they're doing out there? No, it's to be established in grace. Why? Because when your heart is established in grace, you can now speak the truth in love powerfully. Amen. You know, the Message Bible says it like this, that the grace of Christ is the only good ground for me. So the grace message, the grace of God, the gospel 
keeps me rooted and grounded in the truth and closely connected to the heart of my father. This is what it is. Look at this in Psalm 112. I encourage you, read the whole Psalm. But in Psalm 112, verse 7, they, talking about those that love the word of God, will not live in fear. They who? They who love the word of God. Who are those people? Anybody in the house this morning? That's me. That's you. Who We will not live in fear. Why? Because I'm in love with the word of God. Or they won't have any dread of what may come, for their hearts are, come on, y'all, firm. We're looking for a firm church. The Message Bible says it in Timothy, that no spiritual flabbiness, please. Where we're kind of, oh, I don't know, I'm just kind of loosey-goosey, and there's a, a lot of spiritual flab going around. He's looking for some firmness spiritually. You may not have a six-pack on the outside, but spiritually speaking, the requirement is to be jacked. <laughs> Swole, nice and thick. When all of a sudden people look at you, the devil looks at you and go, man, that guy's been pumping some weight. Absolutely. <laughs> it's sad when the devil can look at some believers and go, oh, man, I could whoop that sissy any day. He skips leg day for sure. <laughs> so their hearts are firm and they are ever secure in what? In who they are? They're secure in their faith. The emphasis is always on him. Now, I want to remind us today that the primary focus of the New Testament believer is to make sure that my believing is lined up with his word. That is the primary focus for us as the New Testament believer. I want you again to see Hebrews chapter 3, verse 18 and 19. And I want you to see, because this is what God spoke about the Israelites. He said, God swore an oath that day, talking about the Israelites who did not go into the promised land. They would never enter into the calming place of rest, all because they disobeyed him. Now, verse 19, he goes on to say, it is clear that they, again, the Israelites could not enter into their inheritance because they wrapped their hearts in unbelief. I want you to see how God exchanges those two words of disobedience and unbelief. So in the New Testament, how does God see disobedience? Unbelieving. What is obedience to God? Believing. So the Old Testament was based on how you acted. In the New Testament, it's all about how you believe. What are you believing? It matters what you believe. So God is not the, in the primary place. The God is not looking at your actions to see if you're in disobedience or not. What is he looking at? To see if my believing is lined up with what he said. That's what God is looking for. So as we go on into this year, it is important that you and I, as we continue in the word, as we continue in the things that we are taught, it's not just, okay, I'm reading scripture for the sake of scripture. I'm doing it so that my thinking and my believing lines up with who he is, with what he says, so that I'm living my life in obedience. Don't you remember John 14, 21, Jesus said that those who love me, they'll obey me. What does it mean to obey? It means to believe. And those who believe, he said, I will reveal myself to them. So what's the, the whole process of God revealing himself to me in a greater dimension? Is that my believing is lined up with his word. So many times we are, God, I want you to do this. God, do this in my life. God, do this in my life. He's going, I need your believing to get lined up so you can actually see and experience it in your life. 
So the primary call under grace, now we're no longer under the law where your actions are first. You're now under grace and your believing is the primary thing that God is looking at. How is your believing? Is your mind been renewed with his word to the point that you and him look there and look the same, think the same, would say the same thing in any situation? Now he's going, now you're going to be able to get and experience this everlasting life that I promised you. Now, we are taking the time to go to God's word and allow his words to keep us on track and believing properly so that we're not drifting. That's the desire of our hearts that nobody drift, meaning what? That they just kind of veer off because there are so many voices out there that are saying their own words, speaking my truth and speaking somebody else's truth for them. There is the truth and it is the word of the living God and the spirit of God is on the inside of us to lead us and guide us into the truth. He's not going to lead and guide you into your truth. He's going to lead you and guide you into the word, into grace and who Jesus is. So that's his primary job. So if you're going, Holy Spirit, you're kind of silent in my life. I would check up to see what kind of truth are you expecting him to teach you? Am I looking for something that will tickle my ear that I want to hear, make me feel real good? The spirit of God loves you, but he can't do that. Why? He's got to lead you into the truth. He's going to keep you on the straight and narrow. And that's the whole call that we're getting into. Now, again... What we talked about last week, we're going to pick it up again. But who am I because of Jesus? I am a child of God. Say with me, I am a child of God. This is why you, child of God, can hold your head up high going into 2023, going into February, going in strongly and boldly. Why? Because I am a child of God. That's who I am. Look at this, 1 John 3. He says, look, say with me, look. So when he says, look, what does that mean? I have to look. I got to take the time to investigate. I got to take the time to actually go into the word of God and see with wonder at the depth of the father's marvelous love that he has lavished on us. And notice this is the first and primary thing that the apostle John is saying. He says, he has called us and he has made us his very own beloved children. So that right there would take care of half the depression, most all the depression that you and I, whatever you and I face. It would take care of it all. When we realize and get a glimpse of who he called me and made me to be. Who am I? I'm a child of God. If that doesn't excite you, we got to see it then. The reason that the world doesn't recognize who we are is that it doesn't recognize him. Now, sadly, a lot of times that the church doesn't recognize who they are is because they haven't recognized him. Verse two, he says, beloved, we are, say, I am God's child right now. When? Right now. (laughs) That's good news. So that's who you are. That's who I have the privilege of standing and looking at this morning is children of the almighty God. Wow. Look at you. Look at your neighbor and just let that jaw just drop. You are looking good. Anybody feel the love when they looked at their neighbor? Was it a little bit? (sighs) Well, don't worry because it's not yet apparent we'll become. One day we're going to look just like him. Okay. Now, why did God the Father call me and make me his child? I've, I, man, these verses hit me. He wanted to. He wanted to. Now in Ephesians chapter 1, let's turn here together. It says, all praise to God, 
the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who, can you read it with me? Who has, has is a past tense. So the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because of how good of a Christian I am. Because of how good I worship this morning. I'm going to get a blessing when I leave here. No, he says, you have been blessed with everything because I am united with Christ. Where's my union? In simply declaring, Jesus, you are Lord of my life. I believe what the blood of Jesus does for me. He now sees you in union with Christ, and he says, you're blessed with every spiritual blessing. So, child of God, this is what's required for you and I. We have to, according again to New Testament, when I see that I have a choice, I could go, I'm not seeing it. Or, regardless of what I see, go, I choose to believe this. This is where the difference between those who walk in it and those who don't is at this exact moment when you read this verse and you can go, yeah, I'm just not really seeing it. I'm not really feeling it a whole lot here. Have you seen my bank account? Have you seen my family mess? Have you seen the lack of joy in my family? I have to look at this and say, I believe he gave this to me right now. So can we do that? I believe verse three is true. Then what? I align my thinking to this. Every time something contrary would contradict this verse in my life, in my home, I go, hold on a minute. I have been blessed with every spiritual blessing because I'm united with Christ Jesus. That's where the whole process of renewing the mind comes in. And when God sees that, he goes, my children are in obedience. They're working with me. That's what he's looking for. Now, it just gets gooder from here. So we're going to read verse 4. He says, even before... He made the world. Even before he made the world. So that means God, or let me read it. God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. When did God do this? When you started acting good? When you finally came to church? When did he see this? When did he, when did he choose this? Here's the, the, the three, God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Here's creation. Here's the fall of man, and here's the cross. When did God make this decision about you and I being holy and without fault in his eyes? Before he made the earth. Can you see this? He made this decision right now, and then... Light be, and now we have creation. He chose that before he made the earth. Verse five, look at this, next two words, read them out with me. Who decided? God decided. So he didn't ask you. There's sometimes, there's some good things that God is good that God doesn't ask us. Or, hey, you know, God, you know, I, w- I wouldn't call that person holy without fall yet. I mean, have you seen their way that they live? Have you seen what they do? Have you seen how they talk? Stop it. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. Now, I love this phrase. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. (laughs) Verse 6, so that's why we praise God 
for the glorious grace that he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. This is why we celebrate. You may go on, this church is kind of weird, they rejoice. Yeah, because we remember how nasty and how dirty we were. But because of the blood of Jesus, because of the grace of God, he chose me from before the foundation of the earth was even laid. He said, Joel, I see you without fault in my eyes. Even though all during this time, I've been nasty, I've been dirty, I've been just a horrible individual, he still called me pure. He still called me without fault. Now, when that dawns on me, I'm going to start living that way. It's not, okay, I got to be better. I got to put more effort to this. I got to try harder. No, it's you simply going, verse four, five, and six, I choose to believe this. I believe I am without fault. Say that with me. I choose to believe that I am without fault in God's eyes because of the blood of Jesus. Do you believe that? this will start radically changing the way that you live your life. Now look at this, James 1.18, he decided. Now look at this, God was delighted. The message, or sorry, the Living Bible says it like this, it was a happy day for him. Happy day. Now look at this, before the foundation of the world, can you see our God, our Father, just giddy, for lack of a better word, just... <laughs> This is going to be amazing. This is what I've called them. He was delighted to give you, to give birth to you by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favorite ones out of all of his creation. God, he saw before all, he knew all this. He knows the end from the beginning. And he looked all the way down and you go, they're going to be mine, they're mine, they're mine. I'm so excited. A family to show my love to. Woo! And heaven just, <laughs> angels were like, what, what happened, what happened? Oh, father's just excited about all the kids he's going to be having. Can you see that? This is the father's excitement. So God takes no pleasure in thinking, you rotten piece of, I ought to, why, I should shoot you to hell right now. I'd have a great pleasure in you going to hell right now ludicrous when you see the father's heart and his passion and his excitement just for you <laughs> thank you for your enthusiasm <laughs> now god gave us now look at this i want you to go to galatians chapter 4 this is my last verse galatians chapter 4 but god gave us his spirit now to reveal his fatherhood if god didn't want you calling him father he wouldn't have gave you the spirit of sonship <laughs> He would have just kept you at a distance. We are children of God. And why is this so crucial? Why is this a foundational truth in my life? Because if I start taking on a servant mindset, I'm going to eventually start drifting off course and I'll find myself in a DIY gospel, a do-it-yourself gospel, where you're trying to earn, trying to work for freedom, trying to work for deliverance, trying to, God, this is what my parent, this is, and you just start going in all of these things as to why this stuff is happening to you and you're forgetting that Jesus became the curse for you. So what we're doing is we're magnifying grace. We're magnifying the finished works of Jesus so that the Holy Spirit now is able to reveal the God's fatherhood to you and I. That's the Father's heart. I mean, wouldn't you think as a parent that your sons would just walk in and just go, I'm the Baba, I messed up again. I, can't, I keep messing up. What would you do as a father? Yeah, be away from me, you filthy animal. And instead, no, you'd be like, my son, come Come back here. 
I, I love you. You spend so much of your time letting your children know how much they are loved by you. Well, how much more our Heavenly Father wants you and I to experience this. Don't look at this as some kind of mediocre thing. If we don't have this straight, if we don't have this as a foundational truth that I'm living my life on, everything else could be skewed. I'm a child of God. So I have to read the word from the lens of child. I have to come into this place of worship from a childlike perspective. I have to trust my father, Jesus loves us, with a childlike faith. The moment I think this is just too big for me or I don't, I, I, I'm beyond all that, you're missing the whole point because God likes it when you act like kids in a trusting, loving way. The moment we start going, God, yeah, I've heard all this. Yeah, God, if you could maybe just come and bless, that'd be great. That's annoying. <laughs> for lack of a better word. I'm sure the Father would say it a lot nicer than that, but I'm just speaking to you from here. That's annoying. Look at this, verse 6. And so... Uh, go back, so that we would know for sure that we are his true children, God released the spirit of sonship into our hearts, moving us to cry out intimately, my father, you're our true father. This is what your heart's crying out. My God, my father, my true daddy. Other translations say, Abba, father. That's what, we got. That's what your heart's crying out. Your flesh may be saying something else, but your spirit is going, Abba. Father, I need you. Verse 7. Now. Now. Say with me. Now. Child of God, do you see it? Now. Now we're no longer living like slaves under the law, but we enjoy being God's very own sons and daughters. And because we're his, we can access everything our father has. For we are heirs of God through Jesus, the Messiah. Everything Father has is yours. This earth is not your home. This earth doesn't take care of you. Your daddy, your father, the God who released the spirit of sonship into our hearts has says, I got you. I'll take care of you. Now I can start reading and enjoying the word from this perspective. Verse 7, or 8, sorry. Before we knew God as our father and we became his children, we were unwitting servants to, to the powers that be, which are nothing compared to God. Verse 9, but now that we truly know him and understand how deeply we're loved by him, we, why would we, even for a moment, consider turning back to those weak and feeble principles of religion as though we were still subject to them? Why? I want to just finish off with this quote. There's a quote that I heard that you will always reflect the nature of the world that you are most aware of. What are you aware of? What position are you aware of with your heavenly father? I've even noticed this even as I'm parenting and raising up my own kids. You can come, what? What do I, when I recognize and realize that, hey, these are my children, I'm his child, it changes my demeanor with them. It changes my posture with them. Child of God, we've got to get this because this is the lens that the Father wants you and I to start seeing this earth. Start seeing situations that may come against you and rather than going, oh dear God, this is what's going on out here. And you start the anxiousness, the, oh, the struggle, how am I going to do? You start going at it from a child of God perspective where you know I have got access to everything my Father has. What has he got? 
He owns a thousand cattle or a bunch of hills. Well, I've got that verse right off the top of my head. He owns a lot of meat. <laughs> and he owns a lot of mountains. So if God's got all that meat and he's ready for a barbecue, why am I fretting? That chicken has gone up to a whole nother astronomical. I'm so glad God didn't say, I own a bunch of chickens on a land. He says, I own a bunch of meat on a land. Hey, oh. Your father has it all. And I want you to, I don't have this verse up there, but in John 20, after Jesus rose from the dead, the first person he saw was Mary. Remember? And Mary, she was about to cling to me. He says, no, don't cling to me yet. I have not yet ascended to my father and your father. This is what we have because of what Jesus has provided for us. This ability to call him father. Father, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And it's not like he's going, oh, you got problems. He knows we all got stuff. But the good news is, is he looks at you with this father heart and he's got a big heart. I tell you, it's huge. And you can just crawl right up into him and say, Father, these are some things that are concerning me and I need your help. These are the thoughts that have been attacking me regularly and I need your help. Father, I have, I thought this is, this, this is just coming up. I thought this was the season I was supposed to be going into and it just does not seem to be working out. Did I push myself into a season? Did I force a season into my life that I should not? Lord, I need help. I need help. What do I do here? And the father is so gracious, so kind and ready to go. I'll show you the way. But again, going back to Proverbs chapter four, if you would just come and open up your heart and listen to what I got to say, I will lead you along wisdom's path. And don't be surprised. I may need to be course corrected. You may have to go in this place of, I was wrong. Can we say that together? I was wrong. Humility is the only way forward with him. I was wrong. Lord, I thought this was it. It's, this is not right. I'm wrong. Can you show me the right way? And grace will show you the way. Father, we thank you for your grace. Jesus, you are the center of our lives. We look to you this morning and we thank you for your wonderful grace that you have lavished upon us because we are united to your son, Jesus Christ. Oh, how good it is to be joined to him. Thank you, Father. We ask you now that you would grant unto us here and those that are watching online, Father, we ask you, sir, we don't want stuff. We want a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the deep and intimate knowledge of you that the eyes of our heart would be flooded with light, that we would know the hope to which you have called us, how rich is your inheritance in us, and what is the exceeding greatness of your power in and for us because we believe. Jesus, you are the source of everything that we need. You are the source of love. You are the source of joy. You are the source of strength. So, Father, right now we go to you as a church family. Lord, there's needs I know that are in this room. And, Father, we present them to you. Can we just do that for a sec, church? Whatever it is that you have a need of, if it's financially, if it's a, a, a care, an anxious thought, whatever it may be, Lord, we cast these things over on you. And sir, because of your great care and your love for us, we can leave them there fully. We run to you, Father. We thank you, Lord, for your goodness 
and your kindness to us. In Jesus' name. Now, while you're just in this attitude, I want to just make sure if there's anybody here that has never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you've never done that before, we want to give you an opportunity. I want to introduce to you the most amazing man that ever walked the face of the earth. And he's not dead, what some would think. He is alive. He is risen. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated depression. He defeated anything that the human life could ever go through. And he's for you. Jesus is not against you. He's not mad at you. He doesn't hate you. In fact, he loves you with an everlasting, never-ending, surrounding love. And I'm sure that if you sat through this whole service, you've probably experienced a bit of that going, this was different. This isn't like walking in Walmart. No, it's not. It's a spot where we just come together to worship the true living God. So if that's you this morning, I want to let you know that Jesus is here to receive you, but you have to make this choice on this earth. You can't wait till after earth. You have to do it now. It'll be too late when, you're, when you die. And all of us are dying at some point. 